Hello and welcome to the Emmanuel Baptist Newton podcast. This podcast seeks to share the truth of God's Word through the sermons and other teachings of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Newton, Kansas. We hope these episodes will be a blessing to you and your walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. Go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 17. And as you're turning there, I want to do, I want to steal, if you will, from what Brother Ron did last week. Um, I did watch it. Do you have your Bible? Would you raise it up? Good. I want you to follow in it with me as we read. Because as we're going to see in the text... That's what we should do. We shouldn't just take my word for it. We shouldn't take anybody else's word for what it says. We should see, this is what they said, this is what God said. Is it true? Did they say it right? Because we want to know what God says more than what I say, right? I hope so. Um, And so with that, I also want to continue honoring one another, and I want to say thank you to Ron for preaching for me last week and for preaching for you last week. Um, it is a wonderful blessing to have other men in the church who are gifted and who are willing to stand in the pulpit and to proclaim the Word of God to us. That is a good thing. It, we shouldn't just have me alone, we should have others who are willing and ready and able when the need arises to preach the word. Um, So I want to say thank you, Ron, for for doing that for us. Charles Spurgeon, uh, on several occasions, used the imagery or the illustration of a lion to describe the word of God. And and in all of the times he uses it, he changes it a little bit, and so I'm going to not do exactly what he did um, either. Um, But... But if we think of the Word of God as this lion, this ferocious lion, oftentimes what he would describe as what the believers would do is they feel like they need to, to, to guard this lion and to make sure that it's protected and, and to not, not let anything happen to it and to defend the Word. And that's not really what we ought to do. We shouldn't be caging this lion and and putting ourselves in front of it and saying we can't let anything happen to the Word because in reality we have no power to stop anything outside of God. And also, it doesn't need protected. It's the Word of God. It cannot be stopped. And oftentimes, the only reason it doesn't go forward is because we don't let it. We try to shelter it. We try to keep it. We try to keep it to ourselves. And that's not what we should do. And so Charles Spurgeon would say, unchain the lion. Let it out. Let the lion go free. It can defend itself. We don't need to do it. And in fact, we can't do it. And nothing's going to happen in the church if we don't let it out. It needs to go forward. It needs to go and do what it was made to do, return without void. And so that's what 
we see this morning, Paul does. That's what we need to take heed of, that we let the lion loose, unchain the lion. And so we're going to read how Paul unchained the lion. So or Acts 17, we're going to go ahead and read all of it. And if you would, if you're able, would you stand as I read it? Acts 17, 1 to 15. After they passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As usual, Paul went into the synagogue and on three Sabbath days reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Messiah to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus, I am proclaiming to you, is the Messiah. Some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, including a large number of God-fearing Greeks as well as a number of the leading women. But the Jews became jealous, and they brought together some wicked men from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. Attacking Jason's house, they searched for them to bring them out to the public assembly. When they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city officials, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here too, and Jason has welcomed them. They are all acting contrary to Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, Jesus. The crowd and city officials who heard these things were upset. After taking a security bond from Jason and the others, they released them. As soon as it was night, the brothers and sisters sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. Upon arrival, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. The people here were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, since they received the word with eagerness and examined the Scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Consequently, many of them believed, including a large number of the prominent Greek women as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica found that the Word of God had been proclaimed by Paul at Berea, they came there too, agitating and upsetting the crowds. Then the brothers and sisters immediately sent Paul away to go to the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed on there. Those who escorted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving instructions for Silas and Timothy to come to him as quickly as possible, they departed. Would you pray with me? God, we are grateful that we have the lion of your word in our hands, that we can speak it from our mouths, that we can let the lion loose and do what it does best. God, help us to see the truth of your word. Help us to be ready to proclaim the truth of your word. God, we need it. Others need it as well. Let us be faithful with it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. There are three things this morning that this lion does, the word does. It proves that Jesus is the Messiah. It proclaims that Jesus is the King, and it persuades that Jesus is the truth. The first thing we see in verses 1 to 4 is that the Word proves that Jesus is the Messiah. Paul and Silas and Timothy here are traveling again. They pass through Amphipolis and Apollonia. Eventually they arrive in Thessalonica, which was the capital city of Macedonia. And while there, there's a synagogue. 
Unlike the last place where there was no synagogue, and so they had to go to the river and find a place of prayer. Here there's a synagogue, and so as usual, they go to the synagogue, and they go for three Sabbath days, three weeks, they would go to the synagogue. And I want us to notice what happens each time they go there. Every Sabbath they would go there, it says, Paul reasoned with them from the Scriptures. Notice that. He doesn't go there and give his apologetics on why Jesus rose from the dead and why we can trust it. Those are helpful and great, but that's not where we start. We start from the Scriptures. That's where Paul starts. That's the key. He used the Word of God. Not his own thoughts, not his own opinions, not his own cleverness. He used the Word. He used God's very words. Those words that he used to explain and prove that it was necessary for the Messiah to suffer and rise. He likely went, at this time there was no New Testament, so he went to the Old Testament, the Scriptures, and he likely referenced Scriptures like Psalm 16.10, where it says, For you will not abandon me to Sheol. You will not allow your faithful one to see decay. He would read that, and he would explain, that faithful one is Jesus. He didn't see decay. He would read from Isaiah 53, likely. And I'm going to read all of it, because we need the Word, right? Who has believed what we have heard, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before Him like a young plant, and like a root out of the dry ground. He didn't have an impressive form or majesty that we should look at Him, no appearance that we should desire Him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised and we didn't value him. Yet he himself bore our sicknesses and he carried our pains, but we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on Him, and we are healed by His wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We all turned to our own way, and the Lord has punished Him for the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet He did not open His mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter, and like a sheep silent before her shearers, He did not open His mouth. He was taken away because of oppression and judgment. And who considered his fate? For he was cut off from the land of the living. He was struck because of my people's rebellion. He was assigned a grave with the wicked, but he was with a rich man at his death because he had done no violence and had not spoken deceitfully. Yet the Lord was pleased to crush him severely. When you make him a guilt offering, he will see his seed. He will prolong his days, and by his hand, the Lord's pleasure will be accomplished. After his anguish, he will see light and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will carry their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him the many as a portion, and he will receive the mighty as spoil, because he willingly submitted to death and was counted among the rebels. Yet he bore the sin of many and interceded for the rebels. Paul likely opened up passages like this and said, this is what God said. And this was hundreds of years before Jesus ever walked the earth. And Paul says, this is Jesus. He is this suffering servant. 
He's the one. Jesus is the one who is despised and rejected. Jesus is the one who is crushed for our iniquities. Jesus is the one who justifies many. Jesus is the one who will receive the many as a portion. Because Jesus was not abandoned to Sheol, and he did not see decay. After his anguish, Jesus saw light and was satisfied. This was what Paul did. He would go to the synagogues. He would open the Word of God and He would let it loose. This is Jesus. He's the Messiah. It's right there. Everything it says, He did it and He did it perfectly. There is no doubt. It's right there. And Paul writes to this church that would be established after this journey here. He writes in the first letter to the Thessalonians in chapter 2, He says, For you yourselves know, brothers and sisters, that our visit with you was not without result. Notice that. Him opening the Word, proclaiming the Word was not without result because the Word doesn't come back void. On the contrary, after we had previously suffered and were treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know, we were emboldened by our God to speak the Gospel of God to you in spite of great opposition. Paul was emboldened by God to speak the gospel, even through opposition, to open the word and say, here it is, here is Jesus, right here in the word of God. It's him that we've been waiting for. He preached the word to them because it is the word that proves Jesus is the Messiah. And look how the people respond to the word proclaimed. Look how they respond. Some of them were persuaded. They joined Paul and Silas. A large number joined them of God-fearing Greeks, not just Jews, but those who had no reason to believe the Word of God, heard the Word of God, and believed. Paul writes about this in that same letter a little bit later on in chapter 2. This is why we constantly thank God, because they responded Because when you received the Word of God that you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as a human message, but as it truly is, the Word of God, which also works effectively in you who believe. Paul declares that they received, not his Word, the Word of God. Not his argument, the Word of God. They received it as it truly is. He preached the Word of God. They believed it was the Word of God. And because they believed that it was the Word of God and true, it gave life and salvation through Jesus, who has proved to be the Messiah by the testimony not of men alone, but of men with the Word of God. Who are proclaiming, that's Jesus in Isaiah 53. That's Jesus. Church, I think we need a little more holy boldness in our lives. We need a little more holy boldness. Paul and the others, he says, were emboldened by God to preach the Word. They didn't muster up the courage inside themselves and go out and say, I'm going to do this. No, God emboldened them. They prayed like they prayed earlier on in Acts, give us boldness to preach the Word of God. And guess what? God gave it then. God gave it to them here. He will give it to us if we would just ask, God, give us boldness to preach Your Word, to proclaim it to those that don't know it. Give us boldness. Because the Holy Spirit 
is within us, and He will work through us if we seek Him to. We need Him to embolden us to go, to preach the Word that proves Jesus is the Messiah. And when we do that, some will believe. Some will believe. I can't say that enough. We often go out into the world and when we do finally have the courage from God to speak the word, we often speak it thinking, oh, well, they're not going to respond. They don't want to hear it. So I'm just saying it so that I can say that I said it. But I don't really think they're going to believe. I'm just parroting what I know. And, and that's it. That's not how we go out with the word. Paul didn't go out that way. The Christians in the, first, in the early church didn't go out that way. They didn't go out into the world with a hopeless spirit, with a fatalistic spirit. Well, I'll say it, but no one's going to care. No. They went out into the world with the spirit of power and love, and they believed that when they shared the word of God, that people would be changed that people would hear it and would receive it and respond, that they would be convicted and that they would believe in Jesus the Messiah. So let's go out with a little holy boldness, willing and ready to preach the Word. Yes, you are called to preach the Word. I'm not the only one in this room called to preach the Word. You go out, you proclaim the Word and have a spirit of hope and a power and love, believing that the Word of God can change people's hearts. Because it does here. It does all throughout Scripture. If that were not the case, then the Christian faith would have died out as the apostles died. But it didn't. Because they continually preached the Word. They continually proclaim the word. For thousands of years, the word has been proclaimed. It was proclaimed to you, and you responded. And if you haven't, do it today. Believe in the Jesus that Isaiah 53 proclaims, the one who died for your sins, who rose again, who was satisfied, who received the many as a portion. Believe in Him. The Christian faith has continued because the word of God has been continually proclaimed. And people have believed because the Word of God which reveals the gospel of Jesus, the Messiah, is the power of God unto salvation for those who believe. Let's be willing to go with that holy boldness, to preach the Word. That's the first thing we see here. The Word proves that Jesus is the Messiah. The second thing, the Word proclaims that Jesus is the King. This is verses 5 to 9. As they are emboldened and they proclaim the Word of God and the people believed, they responded to it, the Jews became jealous. And in their jealousy, they recruited a mob and they started a riot in the city. And in this riot, they attacked Jason's house, who's likely one of these new converts that welcomed Paul into the, and the others into his house, just as Lydia did in Philippi. And this mob went about, they were searching for Paul, for Silas, for Timothy, to bring them out into the public assembly. Thankfully, they were not able to find them. But they drug Jason out with some of the other brothers. 
They brought them before the city officials. They shouted charges against them. The charges including, these men have turned the world upside down. Now they're here trying to do the same. They're acting contrary to Caesar's decrees. They're even saying that there is another king besides Caesar, and this king is Jesus. These are the charges they brought against the people. Unsurprisingly, the people were upset by this. They made Jason take out a security bond before releasing them so that they would ensure that Paul and the others didn't come back and keep doing this because if they did, they would lose the security bond. But again, notice the charges. They've turned the world upside down. And now they're here. I love what one scholar said about that phrase, turned the world upside down. This scholar said, in reality, what these believers were doing was not turning the world upside down, is they were seeking to turn it right side up. The world is already upside down, but they're trying to say, hey, we're doing it wrong. Let's, let's turn it right. They were proclaiming the true kingdom the true king. But they weren't doing it in the way that these people believed. They weren't trying to overthrow Rome. They weren't doing that. They were just trying to show people, this is who you need to have your first allegiance to, is Jesus, the king of kings. That charge regarding acting contrary to Caesar's decrees, well, that was a flat-out lie. They were good citizens. They were respectful citizens. These believers were not revolutionaries. They didn't want to overthrow Rome. These believers would later be called to be the best citizens they could be, even though, in reality, they were now foreigners on the earth. In that last charge, they proclaim another king, Jesus. Well, that one was true. But it was not these believers alone who came up with this idea that Jesus is the King. It was the Word of God who proclaimed Jesus is the King. Again, Paul was preaching the Word and testifying that Jesus is the Messiah. And the Word makes clear that the Messiah is the King eternal. He was promised to reign eternally on David's throne. We see this in 1 Chronicles 17. When your time comes to be with your ancestors speaking to David, I will raise up after you and your descendant one who is of your own sons and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for me and I will establish his throne forever. I will be his father. He will be my son. I will not remove my faithful love from him as I removed it from the one who is before you. I will appoint him over my house and my kingdom forever. His throne will be established Forever. This was the Messiah they were waiting for, and Jesus the Messiah had shown up, and so now they're proclaiming the Messiah has come, and that means the King has come. The King has come. Jesus is the King. We also see in the Word that this Messiah, this King, would receive the nations as his inheritance and break them with an iron scepter. This is Psalm 2. I didn't mark this one, so bear with me. We'll get there. Anybody else play sword drills? 
First one there gets a candy bar. Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers conspire together against the Lord and His anointed one. Let's tear off their chains and throw their ropes off, they said. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord ridicules them. Then He speaks to them in His anger and terrifies them in His wrath. I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will declare the Lord's decrees, he said to me. You are my son. Today I'll become your father. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with an iron scepter. You will shatter them like pottery. So now, kings, be wise. Receive instruction, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with reverential awe and rejoice with trembling. Pay homage to the Son, or he will be angry and you will perish in your rebellion. For his anger may ignite at any moment. All who take refuge in him are happy. It was the word of God who proclaimed Jesus as king. Again, Paul was preaching the word. He was testifying that. The New Testament even makes that clear as well. This is the last place I think I'll have you turn. Revelation 19. Eleven to sixteen. The New Testament makes it clear that this Jesus is the eternal King. Then I saw heaven opened. I'll give you a second. I still hear pages flipping. Revelation nineteen eleven. Then I saw heaven opened, and there was a white horse. Its rider is called Faithful and True, and he judges and makes war with justice. His eyes were like a fiery flame, and many crowns were on his head. He had a name written that no one knows except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. The armies that were in heaven followed him on white horses, wearing pure white linen. A sharp sword came from his mouth so that he might strike the nations with it. He will rule them with an iron rod. Remember Psalm 2? He will also trample the winepress of the fierce anger of God, the Almighty. And he has a name written on his robe and on his thigh, King of kings and Lord of lords. That's Jesus. And the Word proclaims and proves that Jesus is the King. And church, guess what? We serve that King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the one we serve. He is the one we follow. He's the one we love, the one we obey. And we have been commanded by Him to go with His Word. Commanded, not suggested, commanded. Go with the Word. We must share it. Even if people think we are trying to turn the world upside down, And they seek to persecute us. Because the reality is, we are not trying to turn the world upside down. We're trying to turn it right. It's already upside down. And the only one who can make it right is Jesus, and they need Him. They need Him. And they can get to know Him through the Word. 
The word that proclaims Jesus is the king. So let's go with the word and proclaim Jesus as king. That's the second thing. The third and final thing we see the word do. The word persuades that Jesus is the truth. This is verses 10 to 15. When night came after Jason was released, after the security bond was paid, Paul, Silas, and Timothy were sent away to Berea by the church in Thessalonica. They were escorted out. They were snuck out. And what they did when they got to Berea should be no surprise to us. They went into the synagogue. No surprise. They did what they always do. They preach and proclaim the word that points to Jesus. But before we get to the response of the Bereans, I want us to see clearly Paul's heart here. I want, to see, I want us to see Paul's heart. Paul has a huge heart for his Jewish brothers and sisters. We can see that in the book of Romans. He wished that he could give them his salvation so that they wouldn't have to perish. So he has a huge heart for his brothers and sisters. But he also has a huge heart for the Gentiles. He loves them deeply. But he has an even bigger heart for his God. He has an even bigger love for his God. And we see that in the way he lives. He was called and commissioned by God to take the gospel to the perishing, and he has sought to do just that. He sought to do that his entire new life in Christ. And in the process, he has endured immense hardship and suffering. And it would be incredibly easy and even understandable for him to stop and to think about the suffering he's gone through to spread the gospel. He's been stoned to the point of them thinking he was dead. He's been imprisoned. He's been beaten. For him to stop and to take a look around at the culture that largely hates the gospel and those that believe it and share it, it would be easy for him to say, I don't want to do this anymore. I I don't want to go anymore. But he doesn't do that. He keeps going. He continues on. He presses forward. And notice what he doesn't do. He doesn't complain about the culture and their response to him and Jesus. We don't see him complain like that. We don't see him saying, man, I I don't want to go out there anymore because they've rejected me every time I've gone, because the culture is changing. It's not like it used to be. I don't like it anymore. I don't understand it anymore. The people don't like Jesus. The people don't like the church. So I'm just done. He doesn't do that. He continues going into that culture that hates him, that hates Jesus, that hates the gospel. Because he was grieved over the culture and the lostness all around him. He was grieved by it. He didn't complain about it. He was grieved. Because he was grieved and because he loved them, he remained faithful, even through the hate, even through the slander, the physical pain, because he loved deeply. He loved his Savior Jesus deeply. And he desired to obey him at all costs, even if it meant going into that culture that hated him, that wanted to kill him. He went anyway because he loved Jesus. He also loved his neighbors deeply. He wanted them to come to the knowledge of the truth of the gospel that leads to salvation. So he shares the gospel with them. 
believing and desiring, like God does, that everyone be saved. He had the same heart. I'm not going to complain about them. I'm going to go to them. I'm going to go take the gospel to them, the word of God to them. Because when they understand it, when they hear it, when they respond to it in faith, they will be saved. They'll have Jesus. And that's worth it for Paul to go through all of the things he's gone through, to go through everything that he would go through. It was worth it. He kept going because he loved God and he loved his neighbors, even when the neighbors hated him. Church, sometimes I fear, myself included, that we are more interested in complaining about the culture and our neighbors' response to us and the gospel than we are interested in remaining faithful to share the gospel with them believing and desiring that they would come to a knowledge of the truth of Jesus and be saved. Sometimes I think we complain more than we'd like them to actually believe. Because if we truly want to love God, we must obediently share the word of truth. He's commanded us to do it, no matter the circumstances. He wasn't shy about that. He wasn't shy saying, well, you might endure hardship, but you might not. No, he said the world will hate you because it hated me. You will endure persecution on behalf of my name, but go anyway, and I will be with you. If we truly loved our neighbors, we would go. We would share with them the truth that Jesus is the only way to the Father, no matter the hate they throw at, our, at us, throw our way. And if we would do that, if we would do that, share the Word of God faithfully, we would on occasion get the response that Paul does here in Berea. The Bereans were different than many of the Thessalonians. He makes that clear. They were of a more noble character than the Thessalonians. When they heard the Word of God, they received it with eagerness. They examined the Scriptures daily to see if the Gospel message was true. Something many Christians need to do more of, myself included. Is this true? What did God say? How am I supposed to live? How can I communicate it with others? Paul went. He shared the Word of God with them. He shared the Gospel. He pointed to Jesus, who is the truth. And they looked. They examined. They didn't reject it outright. They wanted to make sure, is this really true? They received it with eagerness. There are times where there's going to be Thessalonians out in the culture that are going to want to hunt us down, to persecute us, to do at all costs, to try to stop us, to form mobs even, to accuse us wrongfully. But then there's also going to be Bereans out there that when they hear the word, they want to know more. They want to hear what, what you have to say, what God has to say. Tell me about this Jesus that the Word talks about. Tell me about this Jesus who the Word says died for me. Why did He do that? How did He do that? What happened after He died? There, this is a shock, I'm sure, because it's, it's really unbelievable, but there are people in America that you say the name Jesus, they have no idea who you're talking about. 
The idea of the cross and the resurrection? No idea. They need to hear it from the Word, from your mouth. Because they don't know. There are Bereans out there. When we share the gospel, they'll receive it with eagerness. They'll study it to see if what was claimed about Jesus was true. And many of them will believe because they will find that Jesus is who He says He is, the truth. They believe because Paul was willing to continue on with the gospel even though he faced great persecution He would continue to face great persecution until he eventually would be martyred for his faith. And all the while, he never stopped sharing. After the Bereans here believed the news, believed the gospel, the news spread to Thessalonica, and those Jews caught up to them that persecuted them there. And so Paul had to be sent away. He was sent away to Athens. Timothy and Silas stayed in Berea, but Paul was sent to Athens. But as we'll see later on in Acts 17, even under fleeing in the night and getting to Athens by himself, waiting for Paul or waiting for Silas and Timothy to come to him, he couldn't even just sit there and wait without sharing the word. He looked around at Athens and he saw a people so entrenched in idolatry that he went out and said, You don't know what you're doing, but I can tell you about the one who is the true God. You have this statue to the unknown God. I know that God, and I'll tell you about him. He couldn't just sit idly by. He had to share the word with them that persuades people that Jesus is the truth. Church, we need to be more like Paul, and that's a shock, I know, being more like Paul but in the way that we're not content to sit idly by when the world around us is lost. We can't be okay with it. We can't be okay with just gathering here on a Sunday and thinking, well, I can sing some songs, I can listen to somebody preach, and then I can go about my day around a people that don't know Jesus and be fine with it. Because if you're fine with it, there's something that has gotten lost in your belief. Because you can't be okay with it. You can't be okay with the lostness around us. You can't sit idly by. So we need to be ready and willing wherever we find ourselves to share the good news of the gospel with the people there. And again, I want you all to know that I'm saying this as much to myself as I'm saying it to you. We need to get rid of the excuses we all use to not share the gospel. There is no excuse. So get rid of the excuses. Excuses like, oh, I'm too busy. My schedule's full. You're not. You're not too busy. And if you are, something else needs to leave that schedule in place of God and faithfulness to Him. Another excuse? Well, I don't know enough. Do you know the gospel? If you know Jesus, you know the gospel. That's enough. It's enough to start with. Remember, you don't have the power to save anyone, but the gospel does. And if you can share the gospel, that is powerful. Besides that, if you're worried that you don't know enough, there's a way to fix that. Read the Bible deeply and daily. 
Come to Sunday school. Come to Bible study on Wednesday night. Get together with others on a Monday morning or Monday evening or whatever day of the week works and study the Bible together. It's, it's not an excuse saying, I don't know enough. Because you have the Word right there. I saw you hold it up at the beginning. You have it. Get in it. Learn it. Study it. So that you can share it. Another excuse, I don't know many unbelievers. Really? You don't know many unbelievers. Paul likely didn't know any of the people in Thessalonica before he got there. Or Berea. But he went and he got to know them as he shared the gospel with them. There are people all around you wherever you go that you can have a conversation with and share the gospel with, whether you know them or not. So the excuse, well, I don't know many unbelievers. Well, go get to know unbelievers and share the gospel with them. Or maybe there's the excuse, I don't go many places. Well, maybe this is your sign. You should start going more places. I know that's not realistic for some or easy for others. But for the majority of us, we can go out into the community more than we do. And if you ask, where would I go? I'm glad you asked that question. Schools are a great place. Sporting events, plays, concerts. Go support them. We don't have many teenagers in the church, but that's not an excuse to not go and meet teenagers, to support them, to get to know their parents, to be a part of the community, to then share the word with them, believing that they'll believe, and then welcoming them in. And then we will have teenagers. Go to restaurants. We all have to eat. And most of us don't want to cook. So go eat, dine in, talk to your server, talk to the table next to you. Just have a conversation. Be a a polite person. And you would be shocked where that conversation could go. Sometimes it'd go off the rails. But other times it's going to go right here. Let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about the church I go to, why I go there, to worship God who died for me, who loves me. Go to coffee shops, because coffee is good. And if you don't believe that, we'll talk later, and I'll show you why it's good. People are there all the time at coffee shops. They're sipping coffee, they're reading a book, they're working on something, and more often than not, they're going to be fine being distracted for five minutes and talking to you, if you're willing to talk to them. Go to a park, go for a walk, take your kid, take your grandkid, take a niece, take a nephew, Talk to the other parents there that are with their kid, whether they really wanted to be there or not. Talk to them. Go to a city council meeting. But remember, you're there to represent Christ first. Okay? If you go to a a, a government thing, don't go there with the agenda of, I'm going to convince them to believe my way of politics. Go there with thinking, we could talk about politics, but I'd really rather talk about Jesus with you right now. You're representing Christ first. Go to the library. Sit and talk with somebody. Go to Walmart, Dillon's. Go to the shops downtown. Start a conversation. Volunteer places. Go to a homeless shelter here in town. Go to the youth center. Go to the pregnancy center. 
volunteer. Often when people are at those places, they are more than willing to hear what you have to say. Because they're already there trying to get help. And you can offer them eternal help. There's truly no shortage of places you can go. And some of us, again, need to strive to go more places than we do now. And when we go, we go with gospel intentionality. We go to share the word. We go there for that purpose. There's a community around us that is in desperate need for the word. The word that we have, the word that we love. The word that proves Jesus is the Messiah. The word that proclaims Jesus is king. The word that persuades Jesus is the truth. And that the truth leads to salvation. So let's all, as we leave here today, unchain the lion and let it out to do what it does. Would you pray with me? Thank you for listening to this recording of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Newton, Kansas. We hope that the biblical truths presented in this podcast will help you in your walk with Jesus. If you do not have a church home, we invite you to join us here at 1045 on Sunday mornings. You can find the church address as well as other information about our church at ibcnewton.org. Whether you are able to join us here in person or not, we hope that you will find a Bible-believing church near you to join as you continue to follow Jesus.